0: Good morning, morning. 2 Corinthians chapter five. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, If indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked. For while we're still in this tent, we groan, being burdened. Not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always of good courage, Knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others, but what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us, of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God.
1: Pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that it would be, have a home in our heart, Lord, that it would grow up into fruit for righteousness and strength and focus, that we might accomplish the purpose for which you saved us, Lord. Give us understanding, Lord, I pray that I might be spirit-filled, and that every one of us might be spirit-filled listeners, that we might get what you're trying to teach us this morning. In Jesus' name, Amen. The message is entitled "Christmas Presents." Jesus came that he might be the Lamb of God. He came on purpose to live among us, that we might he might be examined by the people that he was around, and especially for those last three and a half years, he lived among us and even Pilate when he was Tested when he examined him, said, I find no fault in him. And then he went on purpose to the cross. Jesus said in John 10, no man takes my life from me. I lay it down on my own accord, and I'll take it up again. In Isaiah 51, it was prophesied that it pleased the Father to crush the Son so that we might be saved. On Calvary, the wrath of God was poured out. It wasn't the devil's wrath. When Jesus died for our sin, he took the punishment from our sin and from God the Father, and the Bible says in Ephesians chapter four that when he died, he took captivity captive and he gave gifts unto men. Not only our eternal life, he gave us also the gospel, most importantly, He gave us himself. We have his life, we have relationship with him because Jesus took our place. The Bible says in Second Peter chapter one, verse four, verse three, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and excellence. Jesus calls us to a life of service a life of ministry, that's for every single believer. That's not for some. That's not for some who maybe are full-time in ministry as a pastor, a missionary, some ministry, but every believer as a child of God has this great opportunity to serve the Lord. And he gave us gifts for those things. Now in the last verse, of the previous chapter, chapter 4, the false teachers always were about this life, getting the most out of this life. Their focus was about this life. They were sensual, and they used fear and greed as their motivation. And Paul, in the last verse of chapter 4, says, "'We look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal.'" John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes on him will not perish but have everlasting life. We give gifts to one another at Christmas in honor of the fact that God the Father gave the most precious gift to us. And so we give gifts to one another in recognition of that. Christmas time is especially fun for children. It's hard for them not to get into that wrapping under the tree. But for all of us, the best gifts are those gifts that somebody that knows you very well and has been thinking about what you needed for that year gave you that gift and you open it and you say, oh, I really needed this. Maybe it's something that you just didn't, want to spend the money to buy yourself, but you could really have used it. And there's two things about a gift that's so good like that. Number one, it's something you can really use. It's not just something you put in the closet, and in three years you discovered, oh, I think I had this a couple of years ago. But it's something that goes into use. And secondly, it's something that lasts. Now, kids are all about the toys, right? I mean, they, some of those toys don't even make it off a Christmas day. And I think that young believers are like that and they can get focused on the externals and God does provide those. God, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount was saying that the Gentiles, they focus on all the physical things, food, shelter, and clothing. He says, your heavenly father knows you have need of those things. You don't have to worry about those things. He knows. And so God, through the Apostle Paul, is trying to turn their focus to the more important, the eternal gifts that God has given. That these people might get distracted away from the world and get focused on the eternal. In verses 1 through 8, we've been given the gift of good courage. For we know that if the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, now look at the comparison. We have a building. We can do so much to keep this body in shape, and we ought to. It's a temple for for God to live in, but it's a temporary tabernacle. It's just a tent. And someday God's going to strike the poles of the tent, and he's going to take the tent down, and we're going to die. Now Paul was hoping that he would go in the rapture. He was always living in the imminent return of Jesus Christ. So he says, we know that if the earthly tent, which is our, our, our house, is torn down, we have a building. How many believers are playing it safe so they can just make sure they make it as long as they can? instead of leaving it all on the field do you know that you're not going to die one day before you're supposed to now the bible makes it clear if you're a disobedient you're a disobedient believer he can take you home the bible says about that how precious is the death in the sight of the lord in the sight how precious in the sight of the lord is the death of his godly ones so even a disobedient believer and God has to take you home early. He loves to see you. But one believer is not going to be taken home early because he lived too faithfully for the Lord. He, he, he gave too much to the Lord, and so God had to take him home early. God knows every day you're going to live. That's not up to you. And again, you ought to take, try to take a little balanced approach. You know, don't uh, just eat at McDonald's. Right. Have a balanced, healthy diet so you can be in shape to serve the Lord. But you're not going to live one day longer than you're supposed to no matter how much health and how much health food you eat and how much you give up because God knows every day you're supposed to live. Now, for us as believers, that's a great encouragement. That's a great encouragement. And Paul said, listen, I want you to have courage about this. I don't want you to worry. And he gives maybe some new information for these in Corinth about death. He said, the moment you die, you're with the Lord. When you close your eyes in death, you open them in heaven. When you take your last breath on earth, your next breath is heaven's air. And this is the portion we get that from. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Why is he given that focus? Some people may have been saying, well, Paul, the reason he has so much trouble is because he's not pleasing God. God wants you to enjoy this life. Certainly, there are many things to enjoy in this life. But we live to please the Lord, not ourselves. And so Paul says, listen, indeed, in this house we groan, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven, inasmuch as having put it on, we will not be found naked. For indeed, while we're in this tent, we groan, being burdened, because we do not want to be unclothed, but to be clothed. In other words, he's saying, it's not that we want to die. It ought not to be a desire for a Christian just to die. He said, I'm not looking to be without a body. I want the real body. I want that eternal body. And I think it's wonderful, he says, You strike the tent, but God has a body prepared for you that will last for eternity. And when we read about what's going to be in heaven, we're going to eat, the marriage supper, of the lamb, there's going to be trees there to eat from. I know Pastor Hutchison believes there'll be a filet mignon tree. I don't know about that. But we're going to eat, we're going to fellowship, and yet Jesus... The Bible says we're gonna have a body like his. He passed through doors. He just showed up places. Warren Wiersbe says, you know, when we, the Bible says God's gonna create a new heaven and a new earth, and it's possible that we're gonna do space travel, only you don't need a spaceship for it, because you're gonna have that heavenly body like Jesus had. That's something to be desired. So Paul would say, I find myself caught between two worlds i want to go be with the lord that's far better but in the meantime he has work for me to do and i don't want to shrug that work i want to fulfill everything that god has put for me to do i want to get that done here for indeed we are in this tent we groan being burdened because we do not want to be unclothed but to be clothed and look at this statement so that that which is mortal be, will be swallowed up by life. We hold on to this life like this is it. We have no idea. We have no idea. You know, sometimes you hear this uh, at funerals that, you know, in heaven, the people are just peering over the edge, watching what we're doing. Oh, there's my grandson. I miss him so much. That's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. Just read Ezekiel 1. I mean, there is so much going on in heaven, and they step into eternity. They don't step into the same time we are. They step out of time into eternity. And I think they're probably thinking the first day, to look around, and then it's maybe 50 years later, and you show up, and you go, Oh, man, did you see that? There is so much of God to be enjoyed. We will never plumb the depths of his wisdom and beauty. They're not waiting on us in heaven. They are enjoying the presence of the Lord Jesus, God the Father, and all that he has for them there, that dwelling that he's prepared. Paul is just trying to minister to these people so they don't worry about persecution, they don't worry about death. In Ecclesiastes, it talks about the blessing that God gives to a man, that he loves life so much that he doesn't even think about getting older. He is busy serving his creator, enjoying that so much, he's not even thinking about getting older. Verse 6, therefore, being always of good courage and knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. Ever thought that way? Man, I'm absent from the Lord. Is the Lord here? Yes. The Holy Spirit lives in our hearts. But in a way, we are absent from his presence, his physical presence. And God's going to have to give you a new body for you to be able to withstand the physical presence of a holy God. And that's going to be something. He wants them to not worry, to be of good courage about what might be in the future. Don't worry about that. Just serve God faithfully. Verse 7, for we walk by faith and not by sight. When you read about heaven in the scripture, when you're a believer, it lifts your head, doesn't it? It gets you out of thinking about just this stuff, what kind of car you gotta drive, and the more you walk with the Lord, the more you realize a house is just shelter, clothes are just clothes, and a car, that's just to get you from here to there. Not really that big a deal. Now, if God, whatever he's put in your hand, to be a teacher, a doctor, a lawyer, a mechanic, a uh, carpenter uh work in construction whatever he put in your hand that's holy work to god that's holy and so you do that heartily as under the lord but it's just passing paul says verse eight we are of good courage and i say and prefer to be absent from the body and to be at home with the lord that's a doctrine brother that's a teaching that teaching will set you free from slavishly worrying about death. That's why Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, Hey, death, where's your sting? Hey, death, where's your victory? The sting of death is sin. And the strength of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory in our Lord Jesus Christ. And what Paul is teaching here is the same thing he was teaching in the first book in the 15th chapter, is listen, therefore... Since you don't have to worry about that anymore, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord for as much as you know your labor is not in vain. Don't worry about death. Focus on life and serving. And to that end, verses 9 and 10, the second gift of Christmas is the gift of purpose. The gift of purpose. How many times have you seen... Some of these Hollywood stars, they make all the money, of these rock stars, they make all the money, they get all the fame, they have importance, everything they want, and they have no purpose. No purpose. Every one of us have purpose as a believer. Some believers maybe didn't know this before, but here's the information. Information is power to a believer. And it's a gift Maybe it's not something somebody else can see, but it's a gift. He says, we also have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to God. That's your purpose in life, to please the Lord. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31 says, Whether you eat, therefore, or drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. That's your ambition for all eternity. Not just for now. For all eternity. Now in heaven, we're not going to have the sin problem anymore. We're not going to have the flesh. And whatever project you're working on, you're not going to have to go to the hardware store five times for the same part. Right? We're going to be working in heaven. We're going to be building things. You're going to be doing things. You're going to be serving the Lord. But there, everything you do is going to be perfect to God's glory. That starts here and now. That's an eternal purpose, to be pleasing to the Lord. That's why it's important. How you lead in your family as a dad. How you serve your family as a mom. How you submit to your parents. How you submit to your boss. How you work. How you do everything you do is worship. Romans chapter 12, Paul comes to the end of those 11 chapters of doctrine of salvation and he just worships and he he says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, I beg you that you present your bodies unto God, a holy living sacrifice, not your measure, God's. This is your spiritual service of worship how you do everything. God is watching. Then it says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you might find out what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God for your life. You know, when you find that, God wants you to find that more than you want to. but When you find that, you're gonna begin to be able to understand what Paul's talking about and say all this in heaven too. Life won't be a judge judge anymore because you have purpose, and your purpose is to be pleasing to him. There's a purpose for which he saved you. There's a purpose why he gifted you the way he did. There's a purpose why he placed you where he placed you. You might bring glory, but anything else you do, you're missing your purpose. God calls you something. You said, no, I don't really want to do that. You're missing out on the joy. Verse 10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Now, that's the judgment seat of Christ. That's not the great right, right throne judgment. Some of you may be thinking you're going to wait and get to heaven and there's going to be the judgment to see whether you get in or not. No, no, he already told us that. If you're a believer, to be absent in the body is to be present with the Lord. No, this is the judge with the bema seat. This is the award ceremony where people are going to give awards for their faithfulness. Now, not compared to anybody else. Paul said that in 2 Corinthians 10. Don't compare yourself with one another. That's not wise. doesn't matter what Billy Graham did or Billy Sunday or Charles Spurgeon or John Piper or John MacArthur. No, no, God saved you. He gifted you to be you just want you to be faithful faithful what's your purpose that's the challenge to find out then to be faithful in doing it not about your salvation it's about your rewards there's an old gospel song remember Jesus came to the fig tree expecting to find fruit and he found no fruit so he cursed the fig tree he was using it as an example For his disciples to be fruitful and this is my father glorified John 15 that you bring forth much fruit and that your fruit remains how's that possible you abide in him you just abide in him you walk with him he just brings it out of your life but Paul is teaching here so that we understand there's going to be an accountability one day to help you in our decisions to help you in your decisions so you've been given grace You don't have to sin. You've been given grace, so you can now make the decision to please God. And he leads you like a shepherd. He leads you like a father. It's not a hard thing. He just wants you to do what he has gifted you to do. He says, now we're all going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each may be recompensed for the deeds in his body according to what is done, whether good or bad. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, he talks about the judgment seat. And he says, that day will reveal whether you've been just working at wood, hay, stubble, or gold, silver, precious stone. When you're going after the chaff of this world that's not going to last, that's wood, hay, stubble. You can get a lot of wood, hay, stubble. Those false teachers were building some really big monuments to themselves. But when God measures it, it wasn't worth anything but one day there will be an accountability. Now, that's our purpose, to please the Lord, verses 11 through 15. So what's our motivation? What's our motivation? There's two motivations, fear and love. Not a slavish fear, but a fear of righteousness because you know God, and you know he's serious about what he says, and he's going to accomplish everything he promised In Exodus 19, 18, there is a story once again of God giving the law, and God comes down on Mount Sinai. Now, Mount Sinai was all in smoke because the Lord descended upon it with fire, and its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain quaked violently. And the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him with thunder. That's a scary thing. And after God spoke to the children of Israel, And gave them the Ten Commandments. They heard it. And they said, Moses, tell God not to speak to us anymore because he'll kill us. That's scary. We as believers who really know the Lord, we love him. We serve him out of reverential awe because we know he means what he says. And Paul goes on to say, knowing therefore the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. We don't have to be fearful about our own destination, but there ought to be an urgency about witnessing and ministering to people the gospel, because without Christ, they'll spend eternity in a godless hell without light and fire forever and ever. That's the truth. And we know God will accomplish that, and he's called us alongside to be his ministers in the gospel. We looked at that last week. He's given us this great privilege of sharing the gospel. He said, knowing, therefore, the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. Knowing that one day we'll give an account for what we did with the life God has given us. And knowing that without Christ, our friends and loved ones will be in judgment. But it's not just a slavish fear. Because Moses... He knew he was beginning to know God, and God calls him up in the middle of that furnace, and what did he do? He went in. What kind of faith would that take? Just to walk into the furnace. And he told the children of Israel, Hey, you wait for us, and it didn't take them too long. And they said, Well, obviously he's not coming back. We don't know what happened to this Moses who led us out of the wilderness. He went into the fire and he was gone. Now, I know about physical furnaces. I worked in a foundry in Rockville, Illinois for years, and my, my best job, my best physical job I ever did in the world was running a crane. I loved that job. And the, the reason I loved it so much is the better you got at it, the more money you made. So they paid you piece time. So the more pieces you got done, the more you got paid. And I had to ride in this crane for a month before they even let me touch the control. So I just began to feel the rhythm and the motion of the guy that was running the crane. And in between, he'd let me practice after a month, just with the chain, swinging the chain out, making it stop. Because then they were going to hook this big, monstrous ladle to it. And you had to take this ladle, and you dropped it way down in the pit. And then those great big furnaces would pour the molten metal into those big ladles and you'd pick it up and you'd take it down the line and you had a guy in the ground that was pouring. Now, I wasn't afraid of going to work. But we had respect for that furnace. And every once in a while, a ladle would break, the bottom would break, and all of a sudden the mold would just start pouring. Man, we'd hit the horn and we'd go for the pit. We'd have to lose all that and everybody got out of the way. Why? Because it's deadly. And there's gases that are escaping from the molds that are pressed there. So when that hot molten comes by, there's this explosion going off all the time. And it was so hot, where I filled the pit from was from here to the, to the front of the church building. And they would drop that, when I dropped that big ladle down in the pit, they poured in. You had to have these, like, little welding glasses on. And I wore long sleeve shirts all summer long because of the heat that was coming off of there. And again, I wasn't afraid, but we had great respect. That's the kind of respect that a believer has for God. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12 that we have to respect our God because he's a consuming fire. And that this God of power and creation that spoke life into existence came down, became a man, submitted himself, died on the cross. And so when those Pharisees were walking by and saying, he saved others, he can't save himself, that was a true statement. Only love held Jesus to the cross. He submitted his life. He took the wrath of a holy God that we might be saved. And he's given us That great opportunity to share that good news with people Moses even though he saw this awesome God in his his physical presence what he wanted was more because he loved he loved him and even after the Israelites built the golden calf and then Moses came down and destroyed it and went back up to the mountain so he'd get the tablets of with God's writing the Ten Commandments out again in stone, he gets all done, and he says, God, show me your glory. See, the more you walk with the Lord, the more you want of God. That's just something he works in your life. So pretty soon as you grow, there's nothing that God can not ask that you don't want to give because you love him. So there's fear because you know God, and yet the Bible says we're controlled By love. Verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us. Having concluded this. That one died for all. Therefore all died. And he died for all. That they who live would no longer live for themselves. But for him who died and rose again. On our behalf. So our motivation. Is the love of Christ. But understanding that God is a God of power. And he's a holy God. And he's going to do what he promised to do. Fourthly. Verses 16 through 19, there is the gift of regeneration. In 1 John 3, 2, John wrote, Little children, behold, now are we the children of God. And it does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know when he appears, we'll be like him, for we will see him as he is. So he regenerates us now. That's why we see everything different. He goes on to say, Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh. Even though we knew Christ before, now before you came to Christ, you had some opinions about him. May you had some knowledge about him. You knew about his history. Warren Wiersbe says, the assessment of Paul the Apostle was radically different than that of Saul the Pharisee. No longer did he view Jesus as an itinerant Galilean rabbi and self-appointed messianic imposter who was the enemy of Judaism. Instead, he saw him for what he really is, God incarnate, the Savior, the Lord of heaven, the true Messiah who alone fulfills all Old Testament promises and provides forgiveness for sin. He knew about Jesus before. You knew about Jesus before salvation, but your whole view of everything in life has changed because he regenerated you. He made you a new creature. Verse 17, therefore, because of that, If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have passed. All things have become new. It's just a fact. And yet, that's a gift. Otherwise, you'd have to be laboring under these laws. Oh, I got to please God. I got to do it. No, no, he's given you new life. He is, you have tasted, you have partaken of the DNA of Jesus Christ when you received him as your Savior. You've been born again, he regenerated you. You're a new person now. You're able to please God, you're able to choose because he saved you, he gave you new life. Fifthly, verses 18 through 21, he has given you the gift of ministry. Now when we think of the word ministry, we often think of just somebody that's called to be a pastor or a missionary. But when you think about government and ministers of government, That's what we want to think about when he's made you a minister. Because every person that's trusted Jesus Christ their Savior is a minister of the royal kingdom of Jesus Christ. You're a minister of God's kingdom. You're an ambassador for Christ. An ambassador is an accredited diplomat, an official of the highest rank, once sent by a government to represent it, One sent by a country as its official representative to a foreign country. In Hebrews chapter 11, the great hall of faith we see there. That's what these people say. They said about themselves, even the Old Testament saints, that they were strangers and pilgrims on this earth. Temporary residents. But ambassadors for Christ. Christ. Verse 18, now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. See, we are ambassadors on foreign soil representing our king in heaven to try to make peace with the foreign nation. What is that message? Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he's committed to us that word of reconciliation isn't that wonderful every single believer is an ambassador now the question is not whether you have that job the question is how are you doing that job you know i've always thought that if you're going to be a some kind of government worker for the united states the very best you could be was to be an ambassador because you'd have all that security You know, they put you in a really nice house because America, when it goes someplace, it builds a really nice place so they can tell everybody, hey, listen, these people are important. And it's important what you think about Americans. And so the ambassador from America has got all the government. If all of a sudden there's an attack on that embassy, there are Marines there to guard it. And right away, here comes the jets and the helicopters to get that ambassador out. We, as God's children, have all the authority of God behind us. Jesus said, All authority I give unto you. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Go preach the gospel. Go carry this message that there is a war coming that they will lose. God is bringing judgment and they will lose and to be cast forever into eternity without God. But God himself, the king, has sent his son to be the sacrifice for our sins. And he will not count their trespasses against them. He has forgiven them. He removes our sin as far as the east is from the west. He's buried them in the deepest sea. Get this, he remembers them no more. Wow, what a king. That's our message. He's not going to hold their sin against them. The gospel is so simple. He concludes, verse 20, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. That's your whole job. Wherever you're going, in your jobs, to be a representative of Jesus. Now when an ambassador goes to a country... usually brings an entourage, all kinds of people that minister, different kinds of jobs, but they're all there to represent the United States. Whatever God has given you in your giftedness, in your occupation, you're to do that in a way that honors the Lord, that reflects upon your king because you're an ambassador. But as you're going looking for those opportunities to share the message of that king. And that message is verse 21. That the Father made Christ to be sin on our behalf, and he knew no sin. The perfect Lamb of God knew no sin, but he became sin for us. When Jesus died on the cross, it wasn't Satan that tortured him there. The wrath of God was poured out on him. John MacArthur says, hell came to Golgotha from 12 noon until 3 o'clock. And then Jesus, in full strength, pulled himself up and said, it is finished. All the work of salvation for your salvation was accomplished on the cross before Jesus died. And then he died, and he rose again. He became sin.'" And the wrath of a holy God was poured upon him in your place. He became sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Positionally, you are sanctified. If you know Jesus Christ today, you are sanctified. God looks at you positionally, and it's like you never sinned. You're perfect. Why? Because you have Christ's record on you. Well, then what's all this stuff about, you know, what we're supposed to be doing, pastor? No, that's our privilege as ambassadors. That's our opportunity as children of the king to be out doing the king's business, to be walking in his victory parade and enjoying seeing all the fruit that God is bringing to himself, to be in the harvest, to be getting the spoils. He made him to be sin for us and no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. What a privilege, what a gift. Father, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for Christmas time. Because the whole world stops for a little bit, whether they recognize you as God or not, they remember even our calendar is based upon the coming of our savior. Lord Jesus, you are the king. Oh Lord, tune our hearts that we would serve you in fear and in love. Not slavish fear, not worried about whether they're going to heaven or not, Lord, but Lord, we want to please you. We want you to be proud that we are your people. Lord, you've called us to faithfulness and you've equipped us, you've given us everything that we need for faith and godliness to complete this life in victory. Lord, tune our hearts that it is every one of our desires, the number one desire, to hear from you. Well done, faithful servant. And then, Lord, we'll give you all the glory. One day, standing in that great arena of worship, shouting and singing together with all the created beings of the saints of all the ages, worthy is the lamb that was slain. To receive honor and glory and blessing and power. Lord, we look forward to that day. Create in us a heart that desires above all things to be found pleasing. And we'll give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing together.